0: We have three passages this morning from Genesis and Philippians and Colossians, you can follow along with me. Starting in Genesis, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work then god blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done the lord god took the man and put him in the garden of eden to work it and take care of it philippians 2 then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love being one in spirit and of one mind do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In Colossians 3, whatever you do, work at it wholeheartedly as though you were doing it for the Lord and not merely for people. This is the word of the Lord. So
1: once upon a time, a while back, I was a recent college grad looking for my first job. And thanks to a family friend, I got to work in a management consulting firm on the 39th floor of the Bank of America building in downtown San Francisco. I got to commute with my dad and go up this amazing elevator, you know, the, the really nice bank of elevators that goes to the top. And no, I didn't get to look out on the bay, but other people that I worked for did. I had a little desk outside of a vice president's office who wasn't, I guess she was a vice president wannabe because she didn't look out on the water either. But there I was in the inner, uh, inside this uh, office that was pretty um, kind of, high powered and my job was to help us recruit kind of the best and brightest from harvard business school in chicago and stanford which was very nearby First I had to review all of these resumes and there were rankings, you know, for different categories of achievement. We'd give people numbers and if the numbers were high enough we would want to interact with that person and if that interaction went well we would want to invite them kind of in an ongoing interview process which included these happy hour events that I got to set up. So there I was at one of these happy hour events and I kind of know all the recruits who are there. We would love to hire any of them. Like Our desire is to kind of close the deal with some of these folks. So I uh, didn't quite know, what does one do? I was barely over 21. Do you have a drink at these things or do you, like, I just didn't want to talk to anyone. So I tried to get my club soda and like fade into a corner until the party was over and I could do what I needed to do. Well, this guy comes up to me, sought me out kind of a tall, handsome, really nice, trimmed-up beard, comes over to me and says, hey, could I ask you a few questions? And I'm thinking, I know exactly who you are, and we would really like to employ you, so okay, sure, ask me some questions. And he said, if you were my wife, I just like, okay, I knew he already had a wife, I'd noticed the wedding ring, so this wasn't like anything special for me, it was just a hypothetical. If you were my wife, would you want me to take this job? okay. And I said, hey, tell me more about yourself. And he said, well, we've been married a few years and my wife's pregnant with our third child. And immediately I'm thinking, no, I would not want you to take this job. (laughs) But I had this ethical dilemma, right? Because my official answer is, of course, it's a wonderful job. And I began to have this kind of collision between my Christian faith, which said, no, you've made a marriage covenant. This job is 70% travel. Like, you don't want to be doing this. But that isn't the answer I'm supposed to give. So this was my, like my first pastoral moment. I said to him, well, it would depend what your goals are in life like you and your wife, like what, if you are concerned about making the most possible money out of business school, this is a good way to go, I didn't say that, but I thought that, if you feel earnestly called to kind of influencing huge companies around the world, like Fortune 500 international companies, maybe this is your calling. You know, to help build better airplanes, to help run medical systems for whole countries more effectively, maybe it's your calling. So I I sort of kind of turned that question back to him and said, it kind of depends where you want to go in life. But inside me, I thought, I can't do this. I I can't be in a situation where I can't figure out, like, what's the right answer? You know, how how do I put together this idea that God designed each of us in a unique way with unique gifts and a unique calling, and and he wants to influence the world through us. How do we discern that vocation? It certainly isn't at happy hour when people are trying to recruit you to to a high-level position. So today, we're going to look at this idea of work, of vocation. The word vocation comes from the Latin vocare, which means to speak, to call. So we're going to consider kind of how does faith and our our callings, our work, interact with one another. We're using this uh, sermon series booklet and It's available in the pew. If you have forgotten yours, like I have many Sundays, I just take the bulletin, make notes, stick it in here, and someday I'm going to have this whole group of um, themes through the Bible. We've looked at cosmos. These are big themes. We've looked at glory. We've looked at covenant. Today we look at work, and then we're going to justice and intimacy and rest and finishing out the series. As we think about this kind of pathway that we've been considering from creation to disruption to hope and then to culmination, we start with creation and looking at God as the creator. God himself essentially has a work to do and theologians often put this in three ways. There's the work of the creator to create. There's the work of the redeemer, the person of Jesus who redeems us to God. And then there's the work of the Holy Spirit to be present with us at all times. When we look at this idea of God's work, of course it's huge, but it's also constrained. You might think of the idea that the creator of the universe chose to become in the person of Jesus a physical human being, Everything from born as a baby, completely dependent on others, to having a kind of job. He was a carpenter. What do you think Jesus made? I didn't do all this research, but I would love to see, like, were, was it chairs and tables? Did Jesus work as though he were doing that work to the glory of God? I would think so. I would think it would have been a pretty cool thing to have a table made by Jesus of Nazareth. It, right? Right? be pretty amazing. So God not only created the heavens and the earth, he took on this constraint of becoming a human being. And today we're going to kind of look at how being created in the image of God means that we too are called to, to the physical things that we do. And there today we have a four uh, preacher sermon. So if the three who are going to help Uh, preach the sermon would come forward. I want you to meet them. These three have been part of Bethany for somewhere between two and ten years, each of them, and I'd love for them to just tell you their names and what they do.
2: I'm Matt Fiedler and I work in the Surface Group at Microsoft.
3: And I'm Katie Stewart and I work in sales for a consulting firm in the life science vertical.
4: And I'm Maggie Richter and I work for RPM Mortgage as a loan advisor. So one of the values at Bethany
1: is really becoming a mature follower of Jesus, a lifelong learner, a disciple, and these three stepped into a year-long study program, so not just like a week of pastor prep for this sermon. We've got three people who studied it for a year. Um, they were part of a small group, a cohort that met once a week and shared about these topics and then had on Satu- uh, one Saturday a month a teaching time and then three retreats. So they have taken this stuff seriously. Please let us celebrate them and give them a round of applause in advance. (laughs) So Matt, you're gonna start us off here. And uh, tell uh, tell us a little bit about how you first saw work and then kind of what changed.
2: Well, I feel like I'm supposed to say something pretty profound now that you said I had a year to prepare for this. Oh, sorry. No pressure. uh, What
1: I meant is they've really thought a lot about it, which is so cool. (laughs) Um,
2: Yeah, so I work at Microsoft now, but I actually grew up in a much different work environment. Uh, I grew up on a farm in South Dakota, and that uh, is something my dad did, and my grandpa and great grandpa, and it just was—it uh, was sort of expected that that's what I would end up doing. And that's a lot of uh, hard work. It's like bucking hay and fixing fence and chasing cows and stuff like stuff that does not regularly happen in Seattle. Uh, so it's a much a much different environment that I'm in now. But I didn't necessarily enjoy those things, and I kind of uh, from an early age uh, decided that's not what I wanted to do. So. Um, it was probably by the time I was 10 or 12, I had a retirement plan, and it's like, I'm going to get out of this as soon as I can. Um, and I was fortunate enough to not end up having to do that, and I got into engineering, which I was much more passionate about, but uh, I still continued to carry that same general thought process of work really hard, save up all your money, and then retire as early as possible. Um, or then once I realized I would have to work more than 10 years or so that, uh, that well, my real life is going to happen on the weekend or it's really going to happen once I get through the day and then I can go be a part of a small group or something. And, uh, you know, I tried to supplement that by like, well, as long as I'm working, I may as well enjoy it. And I should glorify God in what I'm doing, but it's still left a, a, some emptiness there and a lot of questions of like, what am I doing this large bulk of the the time that I'm working on a day-to-day basis. Um, And Cascade Fellows last year, we started going through um, the book, Every Good Endeavor by uh, Tim Keller.
1: Which we highly recommend, right? It's great. Yep. Yeah.
2: Um, I'm not selling the book, but... Oh, no. (laughs) Um, But you can condense
1: uh, the whole year of study, like if you read the book. Yeah, no, it's
2: really good. Um, But right away at the beginning, it talks about that in Genesis... um, and, you know, I've read Genesis before, but never really noticed that in Genesis chapter three, that's when the fall happens. And we're all very familiar with that. Um, and that that's when, you know, we took the perfection of uh, that was once in humanity. And then many of the brokenness and all the things we experienced came from that. What and I put work into sort of that category as well. But what I didn't realize Uh, was that in chapter 2, directly before that, God actually commands us to work. He tells Adam and Eve to take care of the the garden like we uh, had read to us just a little bit ago.
1: Like in chapter 2? Yeah. Before chapter 3?
2: That's the one. Okay. Um, So that was, and that was really surprising to me because really what that means is that in the most perfect state that humanity has ever existed in, we were doing work. Mm-hmm. And that that is part of what God wants for, not just for us to do, but he wants that for our lives. And that really began to transform the way that I thought about my, uh, my work environment, um, really seeing that that is, that that is Christ's desire for us. And Tim Keller even goes as far as to say that we don't merely need the money from work to survive, we need the work itself to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need that to live fully, to be fully human. Uh, now, for me at a practical level, what that ended up meaning was that when I wake up in the morning to go to work, it's, it's not just something where I'm like making the best of something that's bad um, or that you know I'm just trying to pass through the time so I can get to my real life. It really had pretty practical implications of how do I, how do I really think about this. Um, and that this is what we're called to do. And then the insignificant things are like, I build tablets for a living, right? And you have a tablet and you throw it away after a few years. And if you think about that long enough, you think that's not very significant. Um, but I don't know that, you know, working in a garden would necessarily be significant if I was doing that on a day-to-day basis either. And that's precisely what God called us to do from the start of humanity.
1: Mm-hmm. That's amazing to me that you went from kind of farming to engineering and then reflecting on how might engineering be part of God's plan or purpose. Um, You mentioned when we were talking that another quote you love from Tim Keller was that work is as much a basic human need as food, beauty, rest, and friendship, and I, I love hearing from you that you have now started to see your work as not just something to get through. Is there any kind of moment in the past week or month or something like that where you felt like, okay, I was supposed to be here doing this at this time? Or,
2: Yeah, I think one place that this practically really changed the way I thought about things is I go to China a lot for work and that's, I like living in Seattle, that's why I live in Seattle. Um, and I like my wife, too, and uh, I don't spend time in Seattle or with my wife when I'm in China, so uh, I really, in some ways, it started to take on a little bit of a negative uh, view in my mind of like, oh, I have to go again, and it's like, you know, I've wanted to go on mission trips and stuff in the mm-hmm. past, and I want to do that. It's like, I'm going to many people that don't know Christ, and are going to an environment that's uh, very emotionally charged, and a lot of things happen, and a lot of people get angry, and it's like, this is as much of a moment to be Christ-like as it is to go on a mission trip or anything else. And that um, that perspective has helped me a lot in saying, no, there's a specific purpose to what I'm doing here, uh, and not just that I have to make it through this time to get back to where I really want to be. And I think, and not all of us here go to China uh, for work, but I would imagine most of us have something like that in our jobs that we do just try to get through. Um, and I you know, still have the same thought process sometimes, but uh, but it is so valuable to see that as an opportunity as opposed to uh, just something to, to suffer through.
1: Mm-hmm. Thanks. So there's kind of a reframing then of even the kind of the parts that you wish weren't part of your job. Yeah. yeah. So I want to invite us to reflect a little bit on what Matt has shared, and there's a question that's coming up. Um, do you see your daily work like kind of what you're going to do tomorrow morning. Maybe it's caring for kids at home. Maybe it's you're recently retired. Maybe you are between jobs and job hunting or kind of wondering what's next as part of your day. Do you see this uh, daily work as a calling or a curse? Kind of in which ways is it a calling and in which ways is it a curse? And if you're online, we're now going to have a little time of sharing. You can do it. If you're online, there's a pastor there. There's a chat room you can kind of type in and have your online chat. So I'd like to invite you to, to kind of think about that a little bit. In what ways might you, it does feel a little bit like you want to phone it in. It's a bit of a curse or maybe more of a calling and find at least two, uh, in groups of three or four, please turn, say your names and maybe something about what you're gonna do tomorrow. It doesn't have to be work for pay, just what you're gonna do tomorrow and how is it a calling or a curse? You have two minutes, ready, go. Well done, people of God, good conversing. You can pick up the conversation, you're going to have a couple other chances, here we go. So we've looked at creation and how God kind of intended to equip us and call us to some sort of a a work, our daily, maybe householding, if you will, of the earth and of our own families. And now we're going to look at kind of After Chapter 3, what went wrong and kind of the disruption and how we encounter that. And Katie has been so kind to come and tell us a little bit about Katie. You had some kind of disillusionment with um, things that happened at your work and led you to want to understand it differently.
3: Yeah, so um, I uh, was kind of in a place of transition uh, when I joined Cascade Fellows just over a year ago now. And I'd been in the same job for about 10 years and I was kind of over it. Like, I was lacking the meaning and the fulfillment that I really wanted to find in my work. And the company had also changed significantly since I started. We were um, a small company. We had this core group called the Round Table of about 10 or 12 people. And we really just drove the growth of the company together. We all had our specific roles, but it was very collaborative and really, honestly, like high pressure, but a lot of fun. And um, as our company grew, Our roundtable also grew to now there's probably 40 or 50 people on it and there are different steering committees and subsets of these groups um, of which I'm a part of one of them but um, not a part of that core um, decision-making visionary team that um, you know I kind of miss from before and um, you know not being invited into that was really hard on my ego and Um, Honestly, I felt marginalized and not really that important and um, kind of irritated with the more specific role that I now had. Um, Early on in the Cascade Fellows program, we read a number of things, including Every Good Endeavor, but a number of other things as well. And uh, one of them was an essay by C.S. Lewis called The Inner Ring. And just to quote Lewis, Uh, Lewis says that in all men's lives at certain periods, one of the most dominant elements is the desire to be inside the local ring and the terror of being left outside of it. Um, I guess essentially what the article is about is how all of us in all the different areas of our lives, there are exclusive groups or cliques that we want to be a part of, whether that's the childhood, in the schoolyard wanting to play soccer or um, you know in college wanting to be part of a sorority or fraternity or in business being included in the round table was my story um, as many, well as many others over the course of my life or being a parent who isn't part of the you know the cool parents or whatever um, <laughs> um, But as I really started to process this and look at my work life and professional life through a different lens, my eyes were opened to the, like, pervasive sin and idolatry that were really consuming me and driving me. And I had kind of interpreted that from a, like, perspective of society as being somebody with a lot of ambition and... um, in you know success and you know things that we really value as a society, but in reality, um, I was kind of really loved being the envy of other people, and I started noticing with more clarity the conceit and you know materialism and vanity that I had allowed to to drive my daily decisions so mm. Um, In striving to be a part of this inner ring, uh, just to quote Lewis again, I was not looking for virtue or kindness or loyalty or humor or wit or any of the things that can really be enjoyed. I just wanted to be in, and that is a pleasure that cannot last. So I said earlier that uh, in joining Cascade Fellows, what I was really looking for was fulfillment or some epiphany of calling of what I could be doing um, that had more meaning than, than the work I had been doing. But over the course of this program, um, I started to realize that I was looking for personal fulfillment. I wanted success. I wanted to know what you know I was innately made to do. But in that process, um, I was seeking to find status and admiration from others. And I wasn't seeking to you know further the glory in the kingdom of god in the mission that i had been handed um earlier um, phil read the passage from philippians 2 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit and that had really become a you know core force in my life so as i uh, handed my work life over to christ um I actually started to notice that not being in this inner circle was kind of a good thing. It afforded me uh, the ability to engage with all kinds of different people um, and like learn about them and be in relationship uh, with both clients and colleagues alike that I I just had basically thought I was too good for (laughs) or too important or something. Um, So I'm still susceptible to that terror of being outside but now I recognize it when it creeps in. And um, I've come to know that the fulfillment that I was seeking from worldly ambition um, would never be fulfilled and that, my fu- and that fulfillment will only ever come uh, through Christ. And I think that is the epiphany that I went into Cascade Fellows not even knowing that I was longing for. Wow.
1: Katie, I so appreciate you kind of identifying this temptation that I think we all share and the way Lewis describes the inner ring and how there's like always an inner ring and it gets smaller and smaller and you more and more want to be in that circle.
3: Well, and one thing that I didn't mention is that he really... focuses on the fact that often you don't even if you're in the inner ring you don't know that you're there it's when you're pushed out of it or looking inside that you really see it so we need to there's different levels of awareness
1: I think so you've come to sort of see yourself in the place that you're in as being a good
3: place and a place where your gifts are maybe becoming it's drawing out different gifts from you yeah so I've in different areas of my life like family and friends have affirmed um in me that I have a a specific uh, gift around relatability. So by engaging with all different types of people in my work, I'm really, um, you know, enjoying being able to use that gift in, uh, you know, in business in a way that I didn't think was possible, I
1: guess. Yeah, so God kind of brought something to your attention that you might have been kind of pushing away as you were focused on where you want to go. He's doing something different. So I'm going to invite us a little bit to reflect on this as well. And uh, the question is, how's the inner circle or idolatry? Part of your life. And Katie was so brave to be vulnerable and name off some of those ways where it is vanity or even wanting to be envied and to be noticed as being in that inner circle. For me, there was a time when I was in seventh grade, I think it was, it might have been eighth, and I uh, found that the inner circle in my middle school all wore a certain kind of pea coat. And it was a double-breasted coat with brass buttons. They're actually back in style. I took a picture of one in a store recently. And I was so fortunate that my mom understood that this this peacoat was super important to me because it was like kind of an identity that I wanted to be part of. And so she got me a peacoat. The problem was she got me a brown peacoat. The brown peacoat was not in. The in peacoat was dark navy or maybe black. So, being the kind of conniving, we're in a confessional time now, conniving little uh, young lady that I was, um, I found a little thread on my brown peacoat that was loose, and I began to pull on the thread. Sure enough, in hopes that the seam would come apart, and I found that, you know, if I just pulled a few of these threads, the coat just practically fell apart, and I had to take it to my mom and say, we got to take this back, this is a problem. And, you know, please could we get the nicer peacoat, the the navy blue one, so I could be in. That's my confession. (laughs) So how is it for you? In what ways are you kind of holding on to this strong desire to be in an inner ring? It even happens with stay-at-home parents. I, I know for myself, when I was at home um, full-time, there was a little bit of a tension between like, the, the, the parents who stay at home all the time and the parents who didn't. And it's like, yeah, you want me to pick up your kids again. Yeah, you want me to bring the snacks again. Yeah, so you can go out there and make money. Sometimes there's a tension when the person in the household who's working comes home and they're tired and they don't want to talk about their work. My husband's sitting in the front row and thank you for the humble position of he became a stay-at-home dad along the journey. And I have to admit there was a little bit of me that said, yeah, Uh, when he said, I don't know what to cook for dinner, I said, yeah, I've been cooking for 25 years. (laughs) You can figure it out. But the humility of taking that position, from being kind of known as it for him, a senior pastor to being the, the one in our household who does the shopping and does the cooking and, and takes care of things, takes care of me. My first night when I came home from a late meeting at this new position, he had this beautiful meal prepared for me. it was just like, oh my gosh, so tender. But to take that kind of the bigness of our day job, and bring it on home to kind of what needs to happen in that household. That could be a place where the idolatry becomes clear. So I'd invite you now to take two minutes, turn to your buddies, and uh, your new buddies, your new friends whose names you just learned, and share uh, in what way is this temptation for you to kind of desire, what, what inner rings are at play in your life? Or how do you see this idolatry happening for you? Ready, go. Okay friends, you're doing such a good job sharing. That was the hard one. Okay, you've done really well. So we've looked at creation, Katie was so bold to invite us to look into kind of the disruption and how we all participate in that kind of downward slide and then finding hope. And uh, Maggie is going to talk with us a little bit about how does God bring about kind of what culmination, what does that hope look like? And so Maggie, thanks so much for telling us a little bit about as you went into this kind of Concern, if you will, around faith and work.
4: You were in your own vocational um, discernment, and tell us a little bit about that. So I work in the mortgage industry, and we have a very well-known reputation. You might remember we were big news in two thousand eight and onward. <laughs> <It's> an economic <laughs> crash. We hope there's not a sequel, and that's a lot of what we prevent. Um, but I feel like the industry is really known for kind of corruption and unfairness and deceiving and manipulation, be careful when you talk to a mortgage lender and all of those things. And before I started Cascade Fellows, I'd actually taken kind of a a leave of absence from my work. I felt like maybe there was a more holy job out there for me. Maybe this industry wasn't really right for me. It just kind of seemed not as holy as others. Um, Before, right as Cascade Fellows started, I felt kind of called to go back to the work in the mortgage industry. And I think Cascade Fellows really helped me think about the redemption that is in our work, and that really in all of our industries, there's places of systemic sins, places that our industry falls into, places that we are more privy to fall into. Whether it's you know in my industry, greed and corruption and that money side of things, um, but also I feel like Cascade Fellows helped me find value in my work to see that there's value in helping people find housing, to help people get to homeownership. I think specifically about a verse in Jeremiah where the Lord says to the Israelites while they're in exile to build houses and settle down, to plant gardens and eat what they produce. And that that is something that we're called to here in Seattle to put our roots down. And a lot of people consider home ownership to be part of that, Mm -hmm. and I get to be part of that. Another term that Cascade Fellows introduced to me, this is word, these words, redemptive imagination. And I love it because it makes you, it gives you this opportunity to dream of what would your industry or your work look like if Christ were there, if Christ touched all the pieces. And for me, I think about that the mortgage industry would be known for, for its ethics, for its fairness, where people would never be taken advantage of. And think about how do I participate in that in my daily life, um, that when I sit down with a first-time home buyer, that I can talk and ease their fears about buying, about this big financial decision that they're about to make. Um, Or I think about a lot of the hard things. I think when you hear about my industry, you think about things going wrong. You think about the appraisal coming in low or not closing on time or losing money or not working out. And being quick to be honest, to pick up the phone or sit down with a client and tell the truth, to not deceive, to not try to tell them it was someone else's fault, um, but to take responsibility and be honest in my work. And that that's a way that I participate in the redemption that Christ is bringing into my own industry.
1: That's pretty amazing, Maggie, and even as you were saying that, I have another confession. So Maggie, when she was in middle school, she wasn't worried about being in the inner circle. She was out serving people, and one of those families was our own. She was our babysitter for our two kids out on the Sammamish Plateau. She's since, like, grown up and moved off the plateau and been coming to Bethany. But one of the things that I remember about you, Maggie, this is a new story, is um, one night you called... You and your girlfriend—I think it was Bridget—and um, you said, "You know, we're just kind of having a sleepover, and we want to do something nice for somebody. So we thought we'd bake cookies. And is there anybody in the church who might benefit from having some cookies delivered to their home? How sweet is that, right?" So when I, I hear still you, yo, oh, good. But you don't like doing dinner, I hear, just the baking. Okay, got it. So when I hear you talking about kind of growing into having an ethic um, at your work and some of the specifics around that, it feels like kind of God has done that work in shaping you, um, not to just think there are sacred professions um, and that maybe you need to switch over there, but that there might be a sacred way that you could go about your work. So I really appreciate hearing that. And is there any word you'd want to um, conclude with in
4: helping folks to imagine kind of God's glory and what God's doing in their work. I think a big thing that goes with this is thinking about kind of your own work and finding places where you do get to participate, even if it's just a small piece, Um, but also seeing other people's work. I think more about saying yes to a doorman who wants to get a door for me, and I think I can get the door myself, but I'm taking away that opportunity for, for them to fulfill in their work. Or I think about somebody bagging my groceries. You know, I'm very quick to say, oh, I can do it myself, but that there's roles and opportunities that we all have to participate in letting others even live into their calling Mm -hmm. um, and being open to that. So we have a
1: scripture that supports this idea of redemptive imagination, which is the one we heard, whatever you do, work at it wholeheartedly as though you were doing it for the Lord and not merely for people. So we want you to think about what would change if you saw your daily work as work done unto the Lord. I have a friend who was um, in her neighborhood aware that somebody was moving, and she sort of asked if there was anything she could do to help, and the folks said, you know what you could do is take over our houseplants for us because we don't really want to move the houseplants. And so my friend kind of reluctantly said, okay, I'll deal with the houseplants, and she took them in, and she kind of put them to the side, and sort of ignored them in the hopes that they would pretty soon be bad enough to throw away, right? They were like on the cusp, and as she began to think about this idea of whatever she was doing, that it needed to be as unto the Lord, she thought, well, golly, you know, I've got these like houseplants that I'm hoping will die, maybe I should tend to them instead. So she began to kind of care for the houseplants, if you will, as unto the Lord. And sure enough, they perked up, they turned more green, and they started to actually be something that she looked forward to, like, look at what my houseplants are doing and how exciting it is to be cultivating that. So the question to you is, um, what would be different if you were doing what you do as unto the Lord and not just kind of however you see it as maybe some things that are to be gotten through and rather than being honored or maybe other things that you count as, this is success and unless it's this, I'm really, um, I don't feel God's pleasure. So what if you considered this differently? You have two minutes, ready, go. Well done, people of God. <laughs> Let's join our hearts in prayer. So, mighty God, we thank you uh, for this gift that you designed us with a purpose, that Even being created in your image means that we do um, desire to do the work with our hands and with our hearts. And Lord, I pray over each person here and the activities essentially of their Mondays through Fridays, whether they're at home um, caring for small children, whether they're uh, caring for an elderly parent, whether they're in some sort of helping profession, or Lord, whether they might be... um, really traveling across the world. We thank you for them. We ask that your will would be made known through them. We pray for those whose jobs seem sort of ordinary. I I thank you that there are people who are um, putting parts together on on buses and on our cars and on our airplanes. Thank you. Uh, We pray that they would do this work as unto the Lord, not just Doing it as quickly as possible, but doing it as best as possible, as well as possible. And Lord, we thank you for those who do things like um, clean the, the buildings that we meet in here as a church and in our offices. We thank you for those people who produce the food and pick it up in a truck and deliver it to the market and organize it so that we could go and um, select the things that are going to make our meal. Uh, Lord, when we pray that we thank you for the hands that prepared um, the food that is before us, we thank you for all the hands that went into preparing that food. And so, our God, we ask that you might give us a new awareness, that you have designed us uh, for a purpose, that you can do your will through us, whether it seems large or it seems small, whether it's um, just being able to appreciate uh, the work of other people, whether it might be having a sense that you are in our midst. So come, Lord Jesus, uh, use the hours of our day to your glory. Amen.